Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. It is midday Monday, March the 2nd, 2020. It is time for T-Watt and TR here on the Built by Bama online podcast. I'm Travis Schreier, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, and he, of course, is Tim Watts, site publisher for us there at BOL. And Tim, I uh, I trust you're coming off a uh, certainly a busy weekend, just looking at the flurry of news that we've had there at uh, BamaOnline.com. Yeah, you know, that strength and conditioning coach, I, you know, I've never, you know, since, you know, obviously since Saban's been there, we've never even had to coach it, you know, not coach it. We've never even had to touch it. We've never had to worry about the strength and conditioning position. Um, completely new, new. Now, every other position Nick Saban's ever had, we've had to cover a change. So when Scott Cochran left to be the special teams coach at Georgia, um, you know, this became a bigger deal than we expected, you know, to me anyways. Yeah, you know, it kind of goes back to the evolution of the position in large part because of the tenure of Scott Cochran at Alabama over those 13 years. And also uh, with with Alabama marketing Scott Cochran in a way that it did certainly over the last half of his time here in Tuscaloosa. So um became a you know, a prominent face uh, of the program and and so the interest level sort of goes up with that and uh, based on your reporting for us there at bamaonline.com and also some from I guess Charlie Potter as well uh, looks like of all places Tim you know I I could see this if we were talking hoops I guess yeah but uh, a very <laughs> highly respected individual or two a tag team or something you know this is like the yeah. wolf pack from the WCW days coming down, you know? Yeah, you know, with, with David Ballou, and, I, and I'll be honest, I don't know a lot about these guys. It's well, This all happened this weekend when I started, you know, calling people and talking to people and, and the Dr. Rhea. And I tell you this, there's two camps from everybody I talked to, several, you know, several college coaches, some NFL guys, some trainers I've known throughout the years. Um, and they fall into two camps. I don't know anything about them. And most of the guys that didn't know anything about them on the college level, they dealt with strength and conditioning coaches very, very much like Cochran, that old school, strong, uh, you know, the guy we, you know, back, you know, back when we were in school, jarhead, the meathead, the 300 pound muscle guy. And then there's the the other camp that dealt with this guy, especially the the Dr. Rhea, um, is that they're just sort of new wave, I don't know, new wave, new age, a little bit different, more into technique and reading about them this weekend and watching some of their videos. I can see they do things different, but uh, a lot of people thought highly of this duo. Um, I had people tell me he, they've turned down uh, NFL jobs, five total the last two years, if that number's correct. And even if it's not, it's still, they're, you're the, they're obviously getting some NFL offers. So a lot to be excited about there. Um, and it sounds like, you know, we discussed this when Scott Cochran left and Alabama, and again, Alabama could have kept Scott Cochran. They had three years to put him on the field, uh, decided not to put him on the field. And, you know, he just wanted to be an on the field coach, which you can't fault him for. 
So a change was probably good. I was told instantly that Nick Saban, one, wasn't in a rush, and two, wanted to do something a little bit different. He wanted to be to stray from that old school way of lifting and try a little bit new. So this makes sense. This makes good sense for Alabama, in my opinion. And it, it falls in line with this uh, uh, with this cutting edge sports science center that is under construction right now on the I guess that's the south east corner of the Malmore Athletic Facility. Uh, you're going to be able to partner again with, as you mentioned, sort of a new way of going about things. It sounds like David Ballou, his background probably isn't all that different than than some of the strength coaches that are out there today. But it's when you mix in Rhea as what he was at Indiana anyway, the the athletic performance coach, that's where it sounds like maybe injury prevention, Tim, twitch, speed, explosiveness, more of those things than just bulk and, and mass and, and overall uh, strength in general is concerned. Yeah, I agree. And even the blue from what I was reading, he even he even had some kind of formula where he felt like, and I'm, I'm not going to do it justice explaining it, but he didn't think just keep doing squats and get into a higher, higher, higher squat was beneficial to being a football player. He thought at a certain point, the ratio to your body weight, you hit your maximum. And then he worked on how quickly you could get to that weight. So it was pretty interesting stuff. I'd encourage a lot of our viewers to check out their videos. Very, a lot of analytics. Um, I know that's a very popular word since Moneyball and and everything else, but they use a lot of the terms that I think is going to get people excited. And we're going to get more in depth on this situation as we get into our mailbag portion of the podcast today. Uh, as you would expect, uh, a lot of interest in these hires, and uh, we'll talk more about that a little bit later in the podcast when it comes to uh, David Ballou and Dr. Matt Rea, uh expected to to join the University of Alabama football staff here very, very soon. There was also some news later in the weekend as it relates to Alabama football recruiting, Tim. Defensive back Latrell McCutcheon, one of the handful of early commitments for Nick Saban for the 2021 cycle, uh, lets it be known that uh, he's opening things back up, I guess. Yeah, that's not a huge surprise. You know, Alabama, you know, after that 2018 year, you've really seen a change in philosophy from Nick Saban and his staff. They don't push for nearly as many early commitments. The process is a lot lot more thorough. It's longer, especially when it comes to off-the-field stuff, and seeing them in the camp's always been huge. So I don't think Latrell sort of came out of the blue. You know, you got a Texas defensive back commits to Alabama kind of randomly. Um, obviously, you know, Alabama's a big-name school, and then he got a ton of offers this year. He got a ton of Georgia offered him. A lot of schools offered him, despite him not playing and being injured. So you have to, you know, you, you I don't even know, you know, maybe get him into camp offers. I don't know exactly which schools are pushing for his commitment or any of that stuff. I think most of them are going to want to see him actually play football uh, his junior senior year before taking him. So it's not a, not a huge surprise, a Texas kid, pretty entertaining guy. He was on that show Friday Night Tigers. I think this was to be expected even from those around him. Um, and also it's hard for a kid to commit, you know, so early and, you know, it's stick without any drama. We've seen that. So not a huge surprise at all. There you go. Some recruiting perspective as we head into the new week as well. Um, some topics that we wanted to get into with you, Tim, on this Monday. Um, combine, obviously, a big part of this last week. 
from the Alabama perspective, you had 10 Crimson Tide players, former players now, as we must refer to them as, make their way to Indianapolis. You know, first things first, and, and here's my problem, and it's not really a problem I have with the Combine. It's uh, I every year I, I'm pretty excited to see the Combine come around, but then it just seems like it has a hard time holding me there. You know, I know people, Charles Power, our guy Charles Power, he, he can sit there for 24 straight hours watching this stuff, I, I'm thinking. And he's great with it. He, he gets it. He loves it. He has a passion for it. But I struggle, Tim, to sit there for six, seven, eight hours at a time and wait for guys to run for four or five seconds. It's probably the same problem I have with, uh, with baseball consumption, you know, hanging in there with baseball games. I think I have the same sort of uh, deficit when it comes to trying to uh, take in the combine or how do you hang in with the combine? Is it something that holds you, you know, when, when the, when the broadcasts come on for those four days? It is. I love it. I tape it. I go back and watch it. Um, I'll put it in the background for the next couple of weeks off and on just sort of to re, you know, recap. I love the draft. I love the combine. I love it all. I'll say, I'm, I will say I'm not normal. So me and Charles Bauer, <laughs> That, yeah, it's not, if you are not you just if you're not watching it like me, that does not mean you aren't a good human being and a better person than me. I spent a lot of time watching it, and this, this year it was really they you know they hyped it so much. The first day was like, like waiting for a national championship game. Rugs isn't going to run till seven, and then he runs, and it was hard. Yesterday was ugly. I mean, the DBs were slower than the offensive linemen. It seemed like nobody really like blew us away. You know, Diggs didn't run. Xavier uh, tweaked a hammy in his deal. So from an Alabama angle, you didn't see what you want to. It just wasn't a good group of defensive backs to begin with. So it's hard. I get it. I mean, it's long. They they drag it out forever. Um, I get it. But with so many Alabama guys out there, skill guys, I was interested in seeing. And I think it's the one of the best group. Uh, Alabama players ever to be at a combine. I really wanted to see Diggs run. Uh, he, you know, I really wanted to see him test. I think he could have tested really well. But at the same time, by not running yesterday, I think Diggs' stock raised because a lot of guys run and ran a little slower than we expected. So we know Diggs is going to be able to physically, he's going to be okay. So um, yeah, I, li- I like it. Don't don't take it the wrong way if you don't. I mean, I'm still watching the fifth, sixth, and seventh round of the draft. Like. <laughs> Yeah, I'm still you watch the you watch the draft over. You you watch no, it again? No, hell okay. no. I will watch it, and I'm, I'm still watching the fifth round where it's like they're calling oh, out. Okay. They're like they're calling out uh the uh bingo. You know, I think they're <laughs> every pick's thirty seconds apart. You know, yeah. they're like it's like a speed race or so. So I'll, you hang in for all seven rounds, is what you're saying? You you'll. You'll hang in there. Yeah, I mean, I'll be working, watching in the background and stuff. I, I love it personally because, you know, you follow these kids at high school level, then you do it at college, and you sort of see where they go in pro. And I'm a huge NFL guy. I watch it Sunday religiously, several games and take games and go back and watch them. So for me, it's all about just sort of finishing that puzzle we started when we met them as sophomores or juniors in high school. Yeah, you know, social media has kind of spoiled us too, right? We don't really have to hang in there anymore. We can be on our laptops or our phones or whatever, and we can get those updates, the specific updates that we want even. What did Ruggs run? What did uh, Judy run? Um, and you're that's right. This pro day, go, go ahead. I was going to say that's a great point. Yeah, good point. 
Yeah, the 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 pro day at Alabama though is going to have a lot of intrigue because Terrell Lewis didn't run in Indy. Anthony Jennings really didn't work out in Indy. Diggs didn't run. Shaheem Carter didn't run. You know, Tua obviously was limited uh, in basically just getting his measurements uh, done up there in Indianapolis. Uh, Raquan Davis, the measurements look good. Six foot six, three hundred and eleven pounds. Uh, but then he runs a, a 5-1-2-40. Um, 24 reps at 225 for a guy with that wingspan, Tim, isn't bad at all. No. Uh, but he had a 28-inch vertical. Um, you know, short shuttle was a little bit slower than even Jedrick Wills. Jedrick Wills, by the way, if there's a guy who helped himself more from the Alabama perspective than Jedrick Wills, maybe it was Henry Ruggs III. So as we come out of this, let me get that from you, Tim. A riser and perhaps a, a faller for this Alabama draft class post-Indianapolis. You know, I've been beating this drum all year, even before the season. I've thought that Henry Ruggs was the most unique prospect in this draft. And if you watch the NFL, there's only a couple guys. There's not many guys that you have to change your whole game plan for as your defensive coordinator, if you think about it. You don't have to change what you're doing defensively for Julio Jones, not the whole game plan. You obviously factor him in heavily. But for a guy like Tyreek Hill and Christian McCaffrey, you got to just wipe the chalkboard clean and start clean over to, to have any chance to deal with those guys. Um, and I think Ruggs falls in that category if used right. I think he's a guy that could line up in the backfield. He can line up in the slot. He could take a sweep. He can take a short pass. He can beat you deep. He can line up outside. I think Ruggs is that guy. He ran a four-two-seven and looked bad and pissed doing it. Yeah. I mean, I ran a four-two-seven. It didn't even look that fast. It was amazing. And that just shows you how fast John Ross's four-two-two was. Insane. Now the difference between Ross and Henry Ruggs is Henry Ruggs is a thousand percent football player. And, I mean, we saw him, you know, as an Alabama guy, we saw Henry Ruggs block and play special teams. Yep. Dude has ball skills. He's not a track guy playing football. He's an absolute freak playing football. And ball you look at the you look at the 5'11", and you wonder maybe a little bit about that, but then he goes and verts 42 inches. <laughs> and I, you know, and I was told – That's the craziest number for me from, from them all, the 42-inch yeah. vertical leap. Even his broad jump was almost 11 Nuts. feet, and yeah. he's and with his size, short legs affect the broad jump. So to go five ele- for five, from 5'11 at almost 11 yeah. feet is amazing. Um, have the reach at 5'11 in the in the broad jump that the yeah. guys that are longer and right those six two guys got yeah. that long even the long stretch at the end. So I think yeah. Rudd is a guy that's going to go much higher than anticipated. You know, you know. When he first declared, there were people thinking he wasn't a first. I can't amount, uh, imagine he doesn't. I mean, I know people in the 20s NFL staffs that really wanted Ruggs, uh, too, and they said there's no way he's getting to him in the 20s. So wouldn't it actually surprise me if he was the first wide receiver off the board? Because, again, I love Judy. He's a great football player. He's going to be a great NFL player. Uh, C.D. Lamb is a great football player. He is a heck of a wide receiver, and he's going to be really good in the NFL. But neither of them can do what Henry Ruggs does. That's the difference for me is you get one shot to get a Henry Ruggs in this class. There's just one. And if you look at this draft, it's that way. You get one chance in an elite defensive end, Chase Young. You get one chance at elite defensive back with uh, Akuda from Ohio State. So this this draft is really funny. Like you said with Wills, any other year, Wills should be the knockdown number one no-brain 
offensive tackle. However, there's some great offensive tackles. I still think he's number one offensive tackle off the board, although the kid from Iowa did really well. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's just, you know, the big kid from Louisville, you know, impressed a lot of people. So Becton, um, yeah. there's depth at that position. So there's not really depth at what, you know, Henry Ruggs does. So he'd be my riser. And, you know, I wouldn't say he's a faller, but I, I had doubts. And he still could go in the first round. But I had doubts about Xavier McKinney going in the first round. And that's simply because of the, you know, the position, you know, the position need. You get, Value. So, yeah. you get so many, so many good safeties in the second, third. Eddie Jackson went in the fourth round of the draft. He's a pro. Ronnie Harrison in the third. Ronnie, Ronnie yeah. Harrison. You had Landon Collins in the second. I think Xavier's head and shoulders the best safety in the class. Um, we knew he wasn't going to run particularly well. He's not a 4-4 guy. Uh, the thing I like about Xavier is he's got that sort of walk, you know, you know, walk up to the line safety size, but he also can cover uh, not big hands. He has some of the smallest hands I've seen at the combine, but that, that dude's a football player. He's got everything else. And I think he's a guy that his tape is going to be that, you know, his hardest selling point. I think his tape's going to be the thing that does it. Now, again, he could end up in the second round simply because it's a crowded it's crowded. You know, I mean, there could be four quarterbacks in, in the first round in this draft. There could oh, be, there will be. These teams yeah. can't help themselves. You know, there's keep, four going to go. I keep wondering because now they love they, – they're obviously falling in love with, with the kid love, Jordan Love, who'd be the fourth one. I keep wondering down there at the bottom, people get crazy down there at 25 to 32. That's when they start whispering names like Brady Quinn and Casey Ween. You know, they get, they get dumb down there, Johnny Manziel, Tim Tebow. Those NFL guys get a little crazy at that bottom. You can see a fifth quarterback pop up there. You know who's going to benefit from that annual outbreak of quarterback fever? We see it every year. I mean, these teams can't help themselves. Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts is going to end up benefiting from all this. He he impressed people, apparently, up in Indianapolis. Um, And I'm not saying Jalen's going to sneak into the bottom of that first round. But, hell, Tim Tebow did. All it takes is one. And, and and while I totally do not expect Jalen to do that, it's going to push him up probably by a round. If Jalen went into uh, Indianapolis as kind of Dak Prescott from 2016 as a mid-round guy, Dak went in the fourth round of the Cowboys, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if the week helped Jalen by at least a round. You know, if Jalen was a fourth-round guy, I could easily see him being a third, if not higher. Yeah. Well, I think he threw well, and I think he did a lot of the things well. Now, he's a, he, I think Jalen's the opposite of what I said about uh, Xavier. I th- think Jalen's film is, brings up the biggest question marks. I watched him a lot at Oklahoma. He was very hesitant with his passes, which we saw at Bama. Um, Moore had to – he couldn't see them open. They had to be open. You know what I mean? So they're not like – he's not throwing it before they're coming out of that route. They got to be out of that route which in the National Football League is not going to work. I mean, you're going to get that duck picked off. So, But I think everything I heard and talking to NFL people, he interviewed off the charts. They love him. Uh, showed a high football IQ, and that's not a surprise. I mean, the guy has been under, you know, Alabama, you know, was at Alabama for three years. He's been under Lincoln Riley. His dad was a high school coach, which so is not surprising. He knows the game. I believe you're – I believe 100% you're right. I think his stock – I mean, it's hard to – you have an easy case to justify taking Jalen over Jacob Eason or Jake Fromm after this week's performance. Yeah. I mean, you have, I mean, Jake Fromm did not throw, you know, did not have a particularly good week. And 
Uh, Eason didn't either. Now, with, with Hurts, he's still got that ability to run. And although he's a quarterback, there's a lot of quarterbacks that, you know, that have Kyler Murray. We're seeing a lot of guys, you know, even Baker Mayfield has some, you know, elusiveness to him. Um, obviously Lamar Jackson, but he don't count. He's another freak. But, you know, Jalen's pulling, being ability to pull down the ball and run is also going to you go into that factor. So I agree. He could very well end up in the third round and possibly even higher. Because like you yeah. said, at the end of the day, they're pulling. They're all taking players from a certain pool. And they'll start rushing, and they'll definitely. It's the NFL. They will start. Some of those teams will start panicking. It's not a coincidence that several of the teams drafting top five this year have been drafting top five for the last ten years. It's not a coincidence. Getting back to rugs, when you talk about the wide receiver class, and man, is it a deep one. Uh, he really benefits from the football player tag as we've talked about many times, not just a wide receiver. And with that comes the the sort of amenity that he offers, that if you take him, he's not as quarterback dependent, Tim, in terms of his, his floor or his ceiling, when you look at both sides of that. Heading into the league, he, he can help you by simply uh, simply handing him the football or special teams or different things like that. Whereas you pointed to it, um, not to say that Jerry Judy and C.D. Lamb and some of these guys won't be just outstanding number one receivers in the National Football League, but more so than rugs, if your quarterback situation isn't really good, you're probably not going to get the, the max benefit out of those guys. I don't think that's as much of an issue with Henry Ruggs III because of the different things he can bring to the table. Hey, um, Tim, I wanted to ask you about Raekwon Davis. You know, Raekwon was a guy, when I initially saw him on the practice field at Alabama, my initial thought was, how did someone in his uh, immediate circle not put this guy at left offensive tackle? And then he had the sophomore season where he answered some of that for me, where the production was there. He was dominant for stretches during that sophomore season. But then it didn't exactly meet up as we know, the last two seasons on the defensive side of the ball. And then you look at his his testing from Indianapolis. We talked about the 40. Um, you know, he was slower than Jedrick Wills by just a little bit. I guess what I'm saying is his testing matched up more with the offensive tackles than it did maybe, say, some of the elite defensive linemen. Uh, is it crazy to think maybe at some point, is it too late at some point, maybe for Raekwon to move to the other side of the football, or is it defensive line or bust at this point for Raekwon Davis? You know, I'm pure speculation. I think it's probably defensive line or bust. I mean, you don't see yeah. a lot of these guys. I mean, you don't see many guys willing to move. This starts in high school. You know, you talk to – you never talk to a kid who's a guard. Every offensive lineman's a tackle. And you never talk to a kid who's a – Safety, every DB's, you know, a cover corner on an island. And every, you know, linebacker's an outside linebacker. It's a sexy position. So um, I think that gets into your head early. Uh, I still think Raekwon is probably, you know, I still think he's an NFL guy. I, you know, the guy went through four defensive line coaches in four years. Obviously, that was a factor, um, you know, in some of this. Uh, not physically, you know, that and that see people as early as – Friday, I've never, you know what's funny? Alabama has like so many guys 
in that the NFL mock guys or the NFL guys, scout guys, Alabama has so many guys. I just assumed they were watching Alabama pretty religiously. Not only does Alabama have a lot of guys, but basically everybody they play six, seven, eight games a year has a lot of guys. When Alabama's playing LSU or Auburn or Tennessee or any of those guys, Alabama's playing with guys against guys. So I was just assuming. So I see these mock drafts and Raekwon was in somebody's first round yesterday. And, you know, I spent a whole year, you know, even the point this year with the rugs coverage was embarrassing. And I'm on a national kick right now because I didn't realize how, how damn lazy they are. I mean, Henry Ruggs said, I'm going to break Ross's record. Up until that point, there was no coverage that I saw except on 24-7 sports. It was us beating the drum. Charles Power was beating the drum. Bart Simmons and them. We had him ranked five-star, higher than everybody else. The minute he said that, several people started talking about Ruggs could be a top performer because of what he said. They yeah. didn't know. And then I even read you know, somebody saying – he basically saying he's a track guy. They didn't say anything about elite ball. And see that, see Tim. Sorry, I mean, but that that's where ahead. it gets tough for me to to watch the coverage because what? you know I have to basically almost turn it down. Now there are certainly some people in that business. Daniel Jeremiah, I respect a lot yeah. uh, that, of the yeah. NFL <laughs> Network. P, I, there are people I want to hear from, but what? the way it's presented to me as if I'm being the exposed for the first time to a guy like Henry Ruggs the third. That's that's part of my struggle, Tim, with the no, with the I coverage agree. on an annual basis. It's where I struggle to hang in there. Well you would have thought they knew about, you know, Henry Ruggs. You know, you'd have thought um you know, and it's not just Alabama. I mean there was a big you know, big much ado about you know, the Jefferson kid from LSU running a four four man anybody saw that monster at LSU this year, could have told you Justin Jefferson was pretty damn good. So, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just on a thing where they can't figure it out. You know, you look up and you had mock drafts this year with Jake Fromm, number one in a mock draft. No, but Georgia fans didn't think that. Mm-hmm. It was just the lowest hanging fruit. I mean, it's it to me, it's just, you know, some of the embarrassment. So going back to Ray Kwan, I just, you know, I think he's a guy that's going to, could stick around the NFL. He's never going to be that five-star, that flash guy but hey you know what it's hard to find defensive tackles in the national football league i mean marcel darius is still there and hanging on making 20 million a year i mean you see those big guys that occupy space raekwon definitely could do that oh i think he could i, I think he will i mean you, damian square is another example really good player for alabama lengthy nfl career uh mostly if not all of it with the chargers so no i totally expect that raekwon will you know, be a guy that maybe even approaches a decade in the National Football League based on the need there at his position. I just wonder if at some point someone would have gotten to him and convinced him perhaps that, you know, dude, you got a wingspan right. for days. By O-tackle standards, your athletic is, is all get out. You're 6'6", mm-hmm. plus 311, could easily play at 320, 325. I guess I'm just never going to give up on that uh, thought. It's a fair. I mean, you see it every year. If you watch that guy that Georgia signed Darnell Washington, yeah, he he fits that mold. Now he said he, he played tight end in high school and was very productive, but it was high school. Um, But if you watch him and if you saw him at the under armor game, you could sort of tell didn't quite have the same, you know, like if you're comparing him with an elite 
tight end type big man like that, you compare him to Eric Gilbert, and it's 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 a whole different ball game. I mean, it's apples to pineapples. It sounds the same, but it ain't close to the same. I mean, Eric looked like a wide receiver out there. Darnell looked like a big kid, a good jumbo athlete out there. So that's the guy. Darnell, if he doesn't project it tight end, I think he's an offensive tackle. Now, he'll probably fight it. Most kids do. Um, could end up on the defensive line. If he ends up on the defensive line, there's a lot of similes there to him and Raekwon. So your leap with Raekwon to offensive, offensive line isn't isn't that far at all. It's not, it's not a deep one anyways. Here's how I'd go about convincing young people of that, Tim. I'd show them a figure that looks pretty big, maybe even like an eight-figure uh, total in terms of potential earnings in the National Football League. And then I'd add a zero, maybe, to that eight figures and see if that worked. Make it nine. You would think it's a verbal. We saw Tim Tebow choose to play baseball for the, the, the Philippines over playing in the National Football League at another position. So Tim, Tim's these, always – hey, going back to high school, by the way, has Tim always figured out a way to get around maybe uh, residents uh, – restrictions yes I mean, he, did, he did that in high school the, the guy lived as far on the west side of jacksonville as you can live and played for nice which is out on the east side at the beach you know he's always figured out a way to make those residence rules kind of work his way it's, by the way tim tim tebow it's hard to tell him no i got a feel a lot of people don't like timmy so seems yeah. like a win good guy so i liked him yeah Oh, yeah, I mean, it is. But it's wow. not surprising that he's fallen up his whole life. When he stumbles, he goes up a level. You know, it's not surprising. Or seven. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Straight to the penthouse. Well, he's definitely got a better chance of going up in the afterlife than I do, Tim. I can I can go ahead and, <laughs> and promise you that. But. But, the, but the fact that you know Tim helps you get into the afterlife, in my opinion. Well, it, you know, I guess there's – you ever thought about it in terms of when that time comes, the the names you're going to try to throw out to help yourself, you know, uh, t- in that situation? T- Tebow's number one. Tebow would be on that list. I got a friend, Brent Beard, uh, that would certainly be on that list. I don't know if any of it's going to help, but you, I think you and I are both going to be throwing them, you know, fast and furious uh, when it comes down to, to that situation. I expect us to continue doing our podcast together in the afterlife. <laughs> hey, um, so with all this said, where the combine is concerned are you more of a combine measurables guy or do you rely more on what your eyes tell you and with an emphasis on tape or seeing a kid in person when it comes to the evaluation process i'm a i'm i'm a tape guy i mean i'm a i don't i I believe the tape doesn't lie I think you look, you have to be productive. First, you got to be a football player. That's, that's always going to be something for me. Um, <clears throat> I think the tape tells a tale. Now, the, I love the measurables as the very second uh, measure, so to speak. I love that I can, you know, check a 40 time to see how fast. I mean, there's definitely a difference between a running back who's 488 and 463. Me, I see a running back that's 463. And I say, okay, that's about what Alvin Kamara was. I don't freak out about it. I mean, every, you know, you people that tend to focus on numbers get so hyper focused. They want to say, you know, he's not a four four guy. Well, you know, most of the world's not a four four guy. Most of the running backs in the National Football League are not a four four guy. And a four four guy doesn't guarantee you a first round pick to begin with. Dalvin Cook went in the second round, had very elite, you know, very elite speed. So. 
I don't like people that use it as a crutch. Oh, he's a 4-4 guy. If he doesn't like contact, if he's not very physical, I mean, if you look at, uh, you know, you know, Diggs versus Okadua, the Ohio State guy, the only single only thing, sep- thing separating them is how physical the Ohio State kid is, and Diggs just isn't a very physical guy. That doesn't mean he's not a good cover corner. Physically gifted, he can run. They were almost identical measurables with uh, Diggs winning a couple of those by a few inches, like hands and arm length, I think. So that's the difference for me. One's going to stick his head in there and go top five-ish. And, you know, another's not. He's going to go somewhere in the first round. So for me, I'm a film guy. I think you got to see it. Um, but I also think you can get hung up on film and and you really got to, you know, it's, it's hard because who Brody Kroll played wasn't the same as who Bryce Young played. Brody Kroll played in a much smaller league, a more private league. It wasn't the same level. So you can't really compare. And, you know, I get people comparing stats. You can't really compare every stat. 2A football in Alabama is not 5A football in Texas. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And and even tougher with the big guys, right? Because you talk about the the discrepancy in, in size and ability and those things. I mean, you see, imagine a guy like Jedrick Wills on the high school level, not just on the high school level, but you said it too, in the state of Kentucky compared to, to some other guys. And look, it worked out just fine for Jedrick, but it, it's it's tough with the big dudes, man, right? Yeah, I think with the big guy, I will tell you the advantage you have watching film with the big guy. I get their bigger so when they put your they put their paws on you, they're gonna sling you around. But don't forget they're going against smaller, quicker guys. So we saw it this year with the Alabama yeah. commitment commitment Latham, is we saw him pulling at guard and he was trying to avoid not only a smaller, quicker guy, you know, like me, but also one scared as hell trying to dodge him. So he was like playing, you know, it's almost like that gopher game where you hit them when they pop up in the hole. Those guys were running, and he showed a lot of agility and ability, you know, to still block them because those guys were quicker, faster, trying to avoid him, and probably scared him as big as he is. You like him even better better as an offensive lineman than you do a defensive lineman, don't you? Maybe. You know, at the time, I like him as a defensive lineman. Offensive lineman, I think I got – sort of infatuated with him because I didn't know he was that good. I had no clue. I just looked at his film. It was completely blindsided. I never even entertained the thought of him as an offensive lineman. Now, at the time, you know, Alabama was looking for offensive linemen, too. Remember, they didn't have a lot of commitments. And then they added, you know, they ended up, you know, the George kid was much better than than his ranking. And we just we, we corrected that towards the end. Uh, and uh, uh, Damian George from Texas. And also, uh they ended up flipping the Cohen kid from Auburn. So the offensive yeah. line was in better shape. So Alabama also has chances on the defensive line. I love the fact he can play either one, and he should have a redshirt year to kind of figure it out. You know, he's not going to be a guy expected to come in there and play right away, coming from small ball, a little bit steeper, you know, learning curve we expect, although that's not always the case. 
But I think you have a year to kind of figure out, you know, and let Freddie Roach and, and Kyle Flood get a good look at him and sort of see what they think and, and really get a good evaluation on him. I like him from an upside standpoint, but um, his defensive film is fine. But that's more of him just running over me and you and you trying to protect the quarterback at fullback, which we expect to see. The offensive film was this guy running around and, you know, you know, knocking, you know, knocking kids over. So I like him probably equally on both sides. I was just more surprised by the offensive line film because I didn't expect it. Yeah, pretty good basketball player apparently too. Uh, Pickens yep, yep. County. Which is another – that's another feather in his hat, another good sign. Yeah, won a uh, state title over the weekend there in Birmingham. Beat Christian Stories High School, Lynette, in that state championship game. By the way, I went down to Legacy Arena on Saturday, and, man, what a fun event that is. Once you get inside the building, logistically, come on, Birmingham. I mean, I know there's been a lot of construction down there by the arena and everything, but, I mean – I saw about three parking attendants, Tim, around the uh, in the surrounding area of Legacy Arena, and you had like 17,000 fans go through the building just on Saturday, you know. But uh, that's crazy. Uh, it, yeah, I mean, uh, it was uh, it was a lot of fun once you got into the building. But uh, yeah, speaking of basketball, the Alabama men's basketball team, Tim with a very important 90-86 to 86 win Saturday night over South Carolina at Coleman Coliseum. Crimson Tide gets it done without John Petty Jr., continuing a theme for a season in which Alabama players have missed a combined 70-plus games between injury, suspension, uh, you know, just not being able to go. And uh, despite all that, you know, Alabama scores 90 points against what is typically right? I mean, Frank Martin teams usually make it pretty hard to put the ball in the basket, but Alabama gets to the free throw line 47 times in the game, shoots 70% from the line. Uh, that was obviously a big factor in it. So with under the understanding of, of all this, this injury, bad luck that the team has had and just uh, not even having some of these guys on the floor at any point, multiple guys not on the floor at any point, uh, during the current season, um, how do you really measure success for Nate Oates in his first year as the Alabama men's basketball coach? You know, for me, I mean, you know, we cut our teeth coming into basketball. I know both of us are big basketball guys, and we've seen we've seen a lot of basketball at Alabama. We've seen Godfrey's highs and lows. We've seen Hobbs. We've seen, you know, Avery. We've seen it all. Um, you know, starting with Wimp, you know, which probably spoils you right away. In fact, you know, Alabama <laughs> – you know, I tried to tell my kids this. I think they're ready to fight me. I was like, when I was young, I was y'all's age, this was a basketball state. This was UAB, Alabama, and Auburn yeah. going to Sweet 16s every damn year. Putting players in the first round every single year had some of the best basketball you ever saw. While well, the football was mediocre, you know, it was, you know, hit very hit or miss. So, you know, you see all that. But for me, I know Nate Oates is doing a good job because I want to watch him every night. I want to watch him if Petty's injured. I want to watch him if they're, you know, they're, you know, they're Norman Dale playing. They're, you know, four men. My team's on the floor. I want to hey, watch him. I think, I think, yes, I think they're making strides uh, every game. And I think, again, you know, he's been, you know, you, you're missing John Petty. That's a tough South Carolina team. Uh, you know, in a perfect world, I think a 
fully healthy Alabama team could start this season over, and they win some of those early games they lost. Uh, you know, they lost some. You know, they had a couple of ugly losses right out of the gate, and you know, Penn, Penn was you know especially pain you know painful. So played really good against North Carolina. So I think this is an NCAA team, but with the injuries piling up, that rough little run, like losing to Tennessee and Arkansas at home, uh, Patty being injured, I, I like the team. I think Nate Oates knows exactly what he's doing. And again, this is the same team as last year. And I can tell by the discussion on the roundtable that more people are into this season. Now, they might be bitching and griping because of you know the bad luck or bad this or bad that. But they are interested in this basketball team. So, to me, that's how you judge. It looks like the attendance is up. Uh, again, people discuss, and I think he's doing a great job. And I'm really curious to see a couple, you know, sign a couple of guys, get the transfer eligible, and see what happens next year if everybody comes back. I think it's going to be a really good team next year. Yeah, I got to be some interesting decisions for some of these guys, right? Headlined by Kyra Lewis, Jr., who – based on mocks for whatever that's worth looks to be sort of a fringe first round guy. And we know that first round money in the NBA is guaranteed. Um, but also John Petty, Herb Jones, uh, the decisions they make in relation to next season, you get Javon Quinterly finally eligible should have been this year, but will be, uh, barring unforeseen circumstances, uh, next season. Yeah. If you can keep this band together and inject, Quinterly into it um, to go along with a healthy James Rojas and uh, Jawan Gary that you didn't have for all of this season. I, I agree. I, I think as much as anything this season, whether it ends with a trip to the NCAA tournament or not, in my opinion, tells you the future is pretty bright. Now you, you hit on something there uh, recruiting and kind of uh, what we've seen early, Tim is uh, Nate Oates and his staff. They're not afraid to go, uh, game fishing, big game fishing uh, in the recruiting sea. Now, you know, we know coaches around the University of Alabama athletic department that do very much the same thing. And in a lot of instances, they hit on those targets. But even when a Nick Saban doesn't hit that sort of contingency plan, that next guy up, there typically isn't much of a drop off. And I think that's that's what I'm interested to see as much as anything for Nate Oates, because probably even more so in basketball than football, the, the, the difference in, in who you target and who you get, you, you talk about really impacting your program. Uh, there, there can't be a, a huge gap. Can there? No. I mean, you want to, you want to find guys. I mean, you have to, yeah. I mean, basketball, I mean, like you said, he'll fight the big guys, you know, he's actually, you know, I guess MMA guys talking about jumping weights. I mean, he's up there fighting the, you know, he's up there fighting Brock Lesnar, you know, you know, one, you know, 185 or whatever uh, with these guys. So not scared at all. Uh, also, I think he's looking for guys that perfectly fit exactly his system and what he wants to do. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I like what they do. I like how aggressive they are. I like, you know, I like that he's got some fire in him. What is it? Six and oh, when he's got six technicals. Yeah, so. yeah he doesn't mind getting teed up, Tim. You know, he uses them. Six isn't a lot, you know, not to get like, you know, compared to other guys. I mean, Russell Westbrook had five last night, probably, you know, griping about a fan in the third row. So six isn't a lot over the course of a season with the frustration he's seen and shoddy officiating. I mean, I don't yeah. I don't know anybody that thinks college officiating. I mean, NBA officiating 
isn't good, but that's almost by design. That's almost like part of the show. Those the, the referees in the NBA aren't a whole lot different than the referees I saw as the, in the Globetrotters games. I mean, I'm waiting for them to throw confetti up sometime. Uh, you know, they're part of the act to me in a lot of ways. But the college guys aren't really – they're supposed to be more about, you know, calling this a little different. I've seen so many calls. So they've had – six doesn't seem like a lot for me. But, it's all, I mean, it's not excessive to the point that he's griping about it all the time either. And they're 6-0 and with six technicals. So, obviously, you know, this this team follows him and respects him. It, it, it doesn't seem like a ton, but I'm going to go ahead and guess that Anthony Grant and Avery Johnson between them didn't get six technicals in their combined tenures. You know, there were times where you had to wonder if if Anthony was, was still with us over there on the sideline. And look, good for Anthony Grant. He's gone to Dayton and, and look at the Flyers now, you know, looking like a top two or three seed for sure uh, in the NCAA tournament. But Nate Oates, man, he brings it. He brings yeah, it well, night they- in and night out. Anthony Grant was just a quiet dude. He almost reminds me, he reminds me a little bit of maybe, you know, like uh, Cousin Eddie telling Clark about his daughter. Oh, she don't talk <laughs> Clark. She's born without a tongue, but she eats like a horse and whistles like a bird. I mean, I, there was times I think you wondered if Anthony said much at all. Um, yeah. So that wasn't very surprising. You know, also not a very emotional guy. And Avery surprised me a little bit because he is a little bit of a fiery guy, you know. But, yeah, with Oates, I think they're going in the right direction. I think the fans like, you know, like it. I think they believe in what they're doing and what they're doing here. And I see improvement from this team to the last uh, for compared to last year, which is basically an identical team. So I would say he's getting a he's getting a passing grade this year. Yeah, you talk about a defining week in a lot of this. Uh, Vanderbilt in here tomorrow night at 6:30. That's an SEC Network game. Vanderbilt 1-15 and 15 in SEC play in year one under Jerry Stackhouse. And then the road game at Missouri on Saturday to cap the regular season. Go 2-0 and this week. Uh, I think that positivity continues on, and you're still in, in the talk of uh, the NCAA tournament at large bid bubble from that standpoint going into Nashville in the SEC tournament. And there's seeding to consider here for the SEC tournament. If you get yourself you know, kind of on that seven line or – maybe even the six line and kind of help yourself uh, uh, avoid a potential matchup with Kentucky early in that tournament because Kentucky is playing like you would expect Kentucky to be playing uh, in early March right now under John Calipari. You know what else early March means too, Tim? I mean, baseball season is right here upon us. In fact, at the University of Alabama, we know uh, Brad Bohannon's team already 12 games into a season in which his team is 12 and 0, the second uh, best r- winning streak to start a season in program history. You've also got this Houston Astros saga that isn't going away anytime soon. There's been a lot of talk about our Astros players already being targeted in spring practice and spring training games. Seven different Houston Astros have been hit by pitch, Tim, including Jose. Altuve and Alex Bregman, but most of these guys, you know, of those seven minor leaguers to this point, maybe new additions or just lesser known type entities all around. Um, spring training makes it hard to tell, you know, if there's really going to be this concerted effort to target these guys by pitchers. Isn't it going to take the season getting underway, the regular season, Tim, to get more of a clear look at how that's going to be approached by uh, opponents of the Astros? 
Yeah, I mean, you got guys, some of these guys hitting them will be, you know, cutting your grass in four months anyway. So some of them might have just had bad pitches. I mean, I saw one guy hit him with a curveball, which doesn't even count as hitting them. So I, I want to, I, I hope it lasts all year. I hope <laughs> they are hitting them. And I mean, I hope these guys, I hope they hit them bases loaded and, and, and hit in a few runs. I think, I don't mind they cheated. I don't. I don't mind they cheated. That's not a problem for me. Every, you know, there's so much cheating going on. I mind that they were caught and then they were sort of like, I mean, they were sort of in your face. I mean, Carlos Correa says it didn't affect them. The manager said it didn't affect them. You don't cheat. You don't steal money if it doesn't affect your wallet, if it doesn't get bigger. You don't cheat if it doesn't help you. It makes no sense. I was really disappointed that that was supposedly their apology tour. And they're calling, you know, Carlos Correa is calling out, you know, Cody Bellinger. What did he expect these guys to say? If you yeah. didn't cheat, you're pissed that they cheated. This isn't hard to figure out, Carlos. So I hope they hit him. I hope they hit him. I hope they hit them every game as many times as they can. Now, I still think Major League Baseball is okay with this because it's going to increase attendance for every Astros game. I can assure you that. They'll go just to boo them. And you know? viewership. I mean, yeah, people are going like, to watch. Yeah, it was like what was that old wrestler's name? Ivan the what was he the 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 yeah, guy right. back? Ivan Col Ivan Koloff, oh, Ivan Putski. I'm, I'm talking about the Drago. Fake yeah, well the guy Ivan come out dressed up, he come out rooting for you know Iran or Iraq or whatever, and those people would be to the Raptors. The Iron Sheik. Yeah. The Iron, the Iron Sheik. That's who yeah. the Astros are for yeah. Major League Baseball. Break you know their what? backs, make them humble. Bubba. Yeah, they didn't yeah. they didn't punish them. They wanted them out there. But, but what it's going to irritate me the most is at some point they're going to protect them. I mean, the first game people are showing up at spring training with signs saying the Astros are cheaters and they're taking the sign. That's not a very personal sign. And um, I think they're going to get warnings like you're going to start a game. and They're going to say, hey, coach, if anybody hits them, here's your warning not to hit them. I'm throwing them. So, yeah, I think it's it's going to take the regular season to get underway before we get a really good feel for this because three. that's when you'll know if retribution is. When really you look important. up and the guy on the bump to start the game is Chapman, <laughs> you'll know yeah. crap getting real. Well, Chapman's coming it. in there to hit him in that hit him in the backside. You've got you've got a lot of you know guys that aren't going to be on opening day rosters that are hitting some of these Astros right now. You know, once the season starts, uh, the guys that are going to be pitching in the regular season in Major League Baseball, they know exactly what they're doing with location, especially where fastballs are concerned, you know, because fastballs, you can't really point to the grip and go, oh, that one got away from me. That one slipped a little bit. You can do that with a breaking ball or an off-speed pitch, and that can be a, a legitimate issue. But if we start seeing 98-mile-an-hour heaters buzzing towers and you know, sticking between the shoulder blades of some of these Astros, uh, I think you can go ahead and, and rest assured that uh, there's some pretty good intent involved from uh, from that perspective. Hey, Tim, um, you ready to jump into that uh, T. Watts and T.R. mailbag? It's, you know, we never know when we go in there. It's always a lot of fun, and we certainly appreciate our subscribers there at BOL as a part of the roundtable message board for helping us out with some some input, some thoughts, and maybe even some questions. Um, let's go ahead and get right in there. Uh, Gabe Lewis doesn't beat around the bush in the in the mailbag thread this week, Tim, and that 
He wants to know what is the proper method of cooking scrambled eggs. Said differently, is there a diff, diff, uh, definitely wrong way to cook scrambled eggs, Tim? I tell you, my mom taught me a trick, and she was a, she was a simple country girl who I made fun of a lot of those tricks, but I use a lot of them as well. She always took a the top of the lid of milk, flipped it over, and added that amount of milk into her eggs every time. And there's a huge difference as far as not sticking and being fluffy. Uh, to me, that's the key. I mean, I've got, you know, I taught, you know, my oldest sons to cook, and they cook them in like, they like brag. It's like taking the, you know, one of those standardized test scores. I was the first done, and they'll cook them in 38 seconds because they'll turn them on high. <laughs> they'll turn them on high and slap some olive oil spray in there and go to work. So definitely there's a difference. I think you got to cook them a little bit towards that medium to a little bit above medium, stir them a little bit, always add a little bit of cheese to make them fluffy. But if they're hard or, or too or too wet or whatever the word is, yeah, you can definitely screw them up. Yeah, and cheese is the magic ingredient, right? I mean, for it's, everything. <laughs> right. It's like frying everything. If you put cheese in pretty much anything, you're going to be okay. So as long as you hit it with cheese, I like mine peppered up pretty good. And you said it, I can't do wet. I mean, if, you, if you're going to do sort of like undercooked scrambled eggs, just no thanks. I, I'd rather them be hard and a little overcooked uh, than wet. And, yeah, the milk, uh, the, the, the little bit of milk approach. I know people that do sour cream. You oh, know, wow. that they'll add to scrambled eggs. They get funky. They get out there with it a little bit, Tim. Yeah, I mean, if you're not, you know, and I know people that don't love eggs but want to eat eggs because it's really low calorie. It's easy, you know, keto. it's pretty good protein. But yeah, you could do that. I mean, I had another friend suggesting adding uh, that low fat yogurt, whatever that yogurt is. It's so popular. Yogurt. Yeah, 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 Greek yogurt. He likes to add that to it um, just for the taste because he doesn't like it. Yeah, if you just hit it with some cheese, though, if that's all you got. You're going to be okay. Hey, Ghost of Bryant here on the T-Watts and TR mailbag. Uh, among his uh, items of interest, uh, the new strength and conditioning coach's role in recruiting since he is supposed to be a good recruiter, uh, talking about David Ballou. And I wanted to ask you about this and, and the importance of this, perhaps, because there's a junior day coming up Saturday at Alabama, right? Is it do you think there's a sense of urgency uh, to to make this higher and, and have sort of those guys in place when you bring all these prospective recruits in here next weekend? You know, we were told early on that Nick Saban wasn't going to rush. He's going to take his time, which which is what he did. He didn't interview. There was so much, you know, so much false news about who's looking at. He obviously looked at the Candace guy and the Indiana guys. But other than that, I really haven't confirmed anybody, but I think I was told that he was going to take his time, but when he found the guy, he, it was going to happen really quick. And I think that's what happened with the Indiana duo. Um, as far as recruiting goes, you're already seeing guys like Evan Neal and Dylan Moses tweeting about him. They remember him from IMG. Trey Sanders is going to remember him. A lot of the guys are going to remember, you know, from IMG at Alabama will remember him and they're already singing his praises. So that's, a, that's a good sign. Um, what I think he's able to do when it comes to recruiting, you know, I said recruiting trail because it's a habit. Uh, he doesn't actually go out on the road, but when he's on campus, when the kids are on campus, he's going to be able to get with them. It was explained to me and he's going to explain to them how it can make you bigger, faster, stronger, more agile, which is going to be a huge. And if you watch those videos of this guy, 
it's impressive stuff. I mean, it's stuff that's in a, look, I'm a, you got to really work to keep my attention. Um, unless it's something stupid like the combine or white noise whistle or something. I watched that for seven hours, but you watching those videos, that guy sort of made me understand what he was talking about, which is, uh, especially for a non weight room guy, which I thought was a good sign. So he'll get those kids on campus. He'll explain to them and he'll show even better than explaining. He'll show them what he's been able to do. Uh, him, him along with his, uh, with, uh, the Dr. Rea. So I think that's going to be the biggest selling point, but yeah, I, you know, it's my understanding. This is done. Uh, Indiana people think it's done. Staff has been told. Kids have been told. Alabama players are starting to talk about it, have been. You know, we first reported this Saturday, a day before everyone else. And at that point, we were really confident this was happening. Um, do you like uh, Do you like these guys? You said it. that They're past, I guess, with IMG. Um, that they have that dual perspective of the recruiting process, too. I mean, they've seen both sides of it having worked on that end at IMG and then of course at the, the power five level. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think also that the fact that they've had NFL interest, you know, is, is good sure. as well. Um, you also can look at it like, you know, it took a lot from, it's my understanding. It took a lot to pull these guys from there. I mean, blue, I think he played in Indiana. He's from Indiana. He's always been around Indiana coast high school in Indiana and all that stuff or, was that high school program. So you got a guy that deep, deep with those, you know, those Hoosier roots or, or that state roots that, you know, it had to take the perfect situation for him to leave. And, you know, you can sort of look at this like they're a scientist, you know, and if you've went to Indiana and you've, you know, used their players to see them get bigger, faster and stronger, it makes sense that, you know, the next move is to go to a school where to see what happens when you, take a savage, you know, you know, these guys might end up like the soldiers and universal soldier. You know, we might have, we might have Van Dam running around here. You know, I mean, these guys are coming in with some guys that are genetic freaks already at Alabama. And then they're going to get to test the stuff that worked with other guys. So it's really interesting. You know, and the two people I talked to that were his biggest fans that seemed to know him the best said it doesn't take long for them to figure out how to attack and how to put a plan in place. So, Maybe this is something you could even notice. Probably not in the spring. I can't imagine that's the case. If it is, it's you know, it's a it's basically a miracle program. But I think you could notice it more, you know, when we get you know get to those August practices, and uh, you know start seeing stuff. Maybe you know a guy like Bryce Young could benefit. You know, he's a smaller guy, needs to add some weight and bulk, but you don't want him to get too bulky. So that's a you know that's the kind of kid you're looking at that could benefit the most in a short time. Yeah, Crimson Unit. 1988 in the thread here uh, asking about the potential for more hammer strength machines unilateral training uh, that David Ballou likes to use you know crimson unit I, I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to get my morning walk in with my hand weights so this all sort of flies over my head but I think you touched on it in general kind of the change in approach that apparently we're going to see because this is a guy that doesn't sort of fall under uh, or fall in with that uh, Scott Cochran tree of of assistants that we've seen go on and and take on jobs at at Power Fives around college football, Tim. Sure. Yeah. You know. The, you know. The thing is, I think there's been this whole big drama around Cochran between Alabama and Georgia. I mean, of course, there's always 
you know, some kind of drama with that. But I mean, I think it was Cochran. I don't understand. I mean, there it makes sense that after 20 years of doing it one way, and we've seen Nick Saban. We saw yep. Nick Saban running a three, you know, three, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust offense for several years, and then we see this guy coming out here with this wide open spread. He's been in this game so long because he adjusts. We saw him adjust with just the athletes. We went from big bulky guys on the defense to these longer, more athletic players that we've seen too to keep up with the with the Johnny and Joe. So he's really good at not only, you know, changing, but actually, you know, he when he changes, it's a drastic change. You look at that old AJ McCarron offense, and then you look at what you saw on the field last year, there could not be two more polar offenses. So uh, this guy's known for drastic moves, and I think that's sort of what you know has kept him at the top of the game. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it is a change, and and I think Boo Au also in the mailbag thread here is is speaking to the the sort of change in approach coming in conjunction with the new facility, uh, with the Sports Science Center coming online here later this year, and. Yeah, Boo I don't I don't think there's any doubt. And Nick Saban, even in his statement in relation to Scott Cochran's departure, he made it a point in that statement to mention that sports science center. And as we know, the in, in a in a statement like that, there there's a reason for everything Nick Saban yeah. typically has to say. And you know, change can be good for both sides. It sure. doesn't have to be Alabama can be a winner and Georgia could be a winner. I mean, it's not like one of them has, it's not like a, you know, it's not like a bad divorce where someone has to leave and, you know, it makes it a big deal and they're trying to take the kids. Um, I think this is Scott Cochran wanted to be on the field and he's on the field. So that's what he wanted. Nick Saban wanted to go in a different direction and he's going in a different direction. I would call it a win-win for both, whether or not Scott Cochran's the next great coach, what remains to be seen and whether or not these Indiana guys come in and, and, you know, sort of change the game at Alabama remains to be seen. But at this point, I would call it a win, win all around. Yeah. If Scott was already in his heart, you know, kind of beyond or moving past the strength and conditioning gig and really that in, in search of uh, on the field role, he, he wasn't going to do himself or Alabama any favors by hanging around. Um, he needed to go ahead and take that plunge. And it worked out great for Scott Cochran. I mean, he's going to a top five program in college football on the field. Uh, and it looks like Alabama is sort of transitioning in a direction in which uh, it, it probably was merely just a matter of time, regardless of whether or not it was this year or next year. It was coming. And so uh, this is where we're at. Crimson Lawyer in the thread here, Tim. Two questions. One, how will the quarterback competition and reps work this spring at Alabama with three players at least competing and none having much game experience? All three need significant reps for improvement and competition, but there are only so many reps to go around. Would we expect that if someone falls behind early that his reps will start to lag behind others? We'll take that one first. You know, a couple ways to look at this. You only have 15 practices. and the thing with Bryce Young coming in that I think among the many good things about Bryce Young is that from a system fit, Tim, when you watch the film of Bryce Young at modern day high school out in Santa Ana, California, a lot of the things that you see him do in in their scheme, and it tells you how far things that have advanced on the high school level too. 
it's it's kind of always been the case further out west. California has always been a little more progressive, I would say, in their offensive approaches. I, I don't think there's going to be this huge leap for Bryce Young to make in terms of transitioning from his high school offense to what Alabama does. I think it's going to be nearly seamless from that perspective. So so that helps. You don't you're not taking him from the wing tee, in other words, and putting him in a spread or RPO type offense. Uh, pro style offense, um, you know, I, you know, Mac Jones has the benefit of experience, not just in terms of practice, but also game experience. So it, it's not like you need to get Mac Jones 75% of the reps in spring. Now, when you get to fall camp, that starts to change. But in the spring, I think they're going to be pretty even in how they break this thing up. What do you think, Tim? Yeah, I think Mac, you know, you don't, you don't, Mac's probably, to me, if they're dividing it up, I mean, I would probably imagine Mac's getting, 40% and the other couple of guys are getting, you know, you know, 28% each. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I think you're still going to have, you know, Paul Tyson and they're getting some reps too. I don't think they'll just have him standing around. So still trying to prove himself as well, but I think you start off even and if I'm Nick Saban, I start working in the one who's taking control. If it's Talia, I'm working in Talia more than Bryce. And if it's Bryce, I'm working in more than Talia but to be honest, it's spring. They're probably going to get the exact same amount of snaps. You're trying to see as many throws in as many situations with everybody, including Mac. You know, and Crimson Lawyer made a good point because he only, you know, he's got game experience. It's a lot compared to the other guys, but compared to what Alabama's used to coming back, it's not many. I mean, yeah. Alabama had, you know, they've had just, you know, think about this. Alabama's own for the most part, barring, you know, the Coker. Uh, Bar and Sims, they've had three-year starters almost every time, you know, other than that. So, you you know, these guys, we're used to these guys coming in and having a lot of snaps. So they're they're out there to prove themselves. So I think you get them as many snaps as you can. Try to start sorting through Bryce and Talia. That kind of situation has got to play itself out and, and just go from there. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's still a competition. You know, you're still trying to figure out who your guy is. As you said, the last handful of years um, – if you didn't know exactly who the guy was going to be, say going into that 2018 season when you had Jalen and Tua competing there, you knew you had a guy is is the point. Between Jalen and Tua, you knew you had a guy. You had two guys, but but you, you were fine. Um, you know, you're still trying to kind of figure that out going into 2020. And Crimson Lawyer also kind of in relation, I think you could say, to this quarterback situation, expectations for Devontae Smith for 2020 with him being more of a focal point for defenses. The last couple of years, you've had four guys that defenses have had to sort of uh, uh, put the emphasis on. Uh, Now Devontae will likely be the top focus how do we see the season playing out for Devontae Smith pertaining to his draft grade? And do you think, do we think it was a good decision for him to return in terms of being the guy or at least a top two guy? Because Jalen Waddell obviously is going to factor into all this as well. Um, I, I think it, I think it was a reasonable decision by Devontae. It is a loaded wide receiver class. Just look at two of his teammates that are in it for this draft coming up. Uh, gives him another opportunity to sort of, you know, not only reaffirm his uh, ability to produce like he did in 2019, but perhaps even uh, take that up a notch, certainly in touches. Um, but what do you think, Tim? Did 
did Devontae make a, a good decision in coming back and and kind of how do you envision you know how he'll be more of the uh, defensive plan for so many of the teams Alabama will face you know I think <clears throat> I think he made a good decision coming back because I still think he could have very well ended up in the first round, but I also think that he could have fell to the second round because when you're looking at, you know, again, I felt confident Ruggs was going to go in the first half of the first round. I knew Judy and Lamb was definitely going to be up there. So you sort of got the three guys, and then you had Jefferson. There's four guys now. Devonta's probably as good as all these guys. You know, he's different than Ruggs, obviously. But the other three, he's very similar to skill set hands he's another underappreciated guy I mean you know you I was still telling Alabama fans at the end of the year he was leading the team in you know touchdowns receptions yards or whatever it was and uh because it was surprising he just sort of snuck up on you you know he happened so quick so um I do think he is a guy that could have fallen in the second round but I think he's a first round talent I think it was smart for him to come back from that standpoint it was huge from Alabama's standpoint to have somebody on the other side of Waddle uh he's going to be a handful i mean he's another guy they're going to build the offense around waddle's going to draw a lot of that attention uh it's going to give a you know a newcomer a chance to step in at that third wide receiver position so i think devonta made a smart move i don't think i mean it's going to be hard to duplicate his year he had this year he's obviously you know you're down two wide receivers who used to draw attention to uh draw attention away from you but i think he's going to have a good year i think he's a first round draft choice next year yeah, I don't think there's any question about Devontae. I think it's more about, again, the quarterback situation. You know, if the quarterback situation takes care of itself, Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell will take care of it from there in large part. Now, on top of what Tim's saying, yeah, I mean, you need a third guy, if not a fourth, to emerge. And John Mechie, obviously, uh, going to be one of those guys that's looked upon to do that. You've got the newcomers that are already on campus and Tyu Jones-Bell, Treshawn Holden. Maybe they can jump into that mix right there at that next sort of tier of wide receivers. Um, you know, Devontae, in terms of the NFL, Tim, he is what he is. You know, you look at his body type, that's probably the biggest knock against him. He's 175 pounds, Tim. And that's pretty much what you sort of envision him being. Maybe with this new dynamic duo of strength and conditioning folks that are coming on board, maybe that changes. But some things that don't change is your body type. You know, you're built a certain way, um, and that's Devontae. He is silly, uh, to put it one way. Uh, some people would call him a string bean, but he, he's oh, dynamic yeah. with his speed, and, you know, he can get behind defenses. He has tape against some of the very best players in the country. Derek Stingley Jr., primary among those from the 2019 season. He has documented production. Um, and he's, I think he's a smooth wide receiver. Is. I think it helps him coming back. I think it helps Alabama even more, Tim, that he came back. Yeah, I agree. And like you said, you know, you look at Devonta, even in high school, he had very thin calves. It's his build. Uh, it doesn't affect what he does. I mean, you can look at his, you know, there's lean guys. Deshaun Watson, Deshaun uh, Jackson comes to mind, who's been in the NFL a long time. Those guys just tend to not take a lot of hits. Uh, there are a lot of the deep threats. I mean, you see, uh, you know, the, the, the Hopkins kid. That's with the Texans. You see guys like that all the time. Sammy Watkins isn't that big of a kid. I mean, you see speed guys. It's hard to be six foot one, 210 pounds, and running a 4-4. You know, that's exactly, you know, what makes Julio Jones such a freak, even though he's a little taller. It makes him such a freak. It's just rare air to be up there. So he's about what you'd expect from a smooth, thin wide receiver who glides. 
Uh, definitely could end up could end up in the first round in this draft. I know a lot of people that did like him. But again, it was very crowded. You know, next year you look at he's probably in the top three discussion right out of the gate. I might be missing a few, but you're looking at Waddle's going to be up there. The uh, the kid from LSU, Chase, certainly is going to be up there. He had a great year, very good prospect. Justin Ross, yeah. yeah. But see, the difference between Justin Ross and a guy like Smith, and you're going to see that with a guy like Higgins this year, is they're sort of those more of those possession guys. They're those big bodies. Right wide receivers and you see a lot of those go in the second or third round still really good receivers um dk metcalf yeah that yes and those guys are great pros and justin ross is a tremendous talent but the thing that's going to separate them is the speed it is that's going to be a big deal and you know the nfl is about speed and you can't blame them i mean they're on the side of going fast and they want fast guys because the league moves so fast. I mean, even the friggin' place kickers are, are humming along there, it seems like. So, uh, yeah, good good questions from our buddy Crimson Lawyer. Yeah, you know, don't confuse, by the way, the comments about Devontae Smith's body type with a lack of strength or a lack of toughness because oh, no, he's he, a plays, he plays much stronger than he looks, and he is damn tough. And that's that's been sort of the common denominator that sort of gets overlooked with these Alabama receivers the last couple of years. Jerry Judy, uh, Henry Ruggs III, Devontae Smith, uh, Jalen Waddell. The thing I may like the most about the four of those guys as a group was their collective toughness. I mean, they yeah. they took shots and, and and gave themselves up in some situations that typically you don't see dynamic players willing to do as much and so that that's that's not to be again confused for for any of those sort of uh, uh perceived negatives that that could be out there hey as we wrap up here with the mailbag tim uh bama barn 17 and pulley j uh asking about the potential for any other coaching changes to this alabama football staff and also uh we saw scooby carter here in the last few days Go ahead and once again enter that transfer portal. Any other rumblings of potential uh, player movement at this point? No, I don't. <clears throat> I think there's, <clears throat> I think there's just some people that like the the negative aspect and the, a lot of projection. Like I never felt there was a lot of coaching changes coming. You never felt that from Nick Saban. It was never a, you know, the, you know, the fire this coach or fire that coach. I never got. We never got that vibe. You know, and so yeah. there was, you know, there was coaches that. Could have chose to leave maybe to make professional. But I don't think this was a spring cleaning coming from Nick Saban. I think he understood what the season was. I don't think he was super emotional about it to begin with. So I don't expect coaching changes. Then again, you never know when there's a coaching changes. I mean, I was going to an AAU tournament when Mike Price, you know, got in his trouble. I was eating brunch one day when Urban Meyer retired out of the blue. So you never know when a coaching change is going to happen. I'm not there's not actively seeking coaching changes. As far as player transfers, I don't think it has anything. I don't know where the Cochran went to Georgia to help get transfers from Alabama rumors started. I mean Kirby Smart would have to be like a James Bond villain to do half the stuff he's accused of. I mean he it's, would Cur- have to it's like- Kirby Noya by the I fan mean, base and some I mean, of the fan base I mean, anyway. Kirby, I mean Kirby's not like an evil genius out to just run Alabama the guy wants to win a national championship in Georgia that's his job when he was Alabama he wanted to win every national championship at Alabama so I don't think he hired Cochran 
to undermine Nick Saban. And again, again, Alabama could have kept Scott Cochran. All Nick Saban had to do was put him on the field. He chose to let him walk. So this wasn't like a conspiracy of any sort. Now, of course, there could be players transferring. Scooby Carter has been in and out of the portal, you know, like my wife at Panera Bread when it first opened. <laughs> I mean, it was friggin' three or four times a week. So this has, you know, that's not anything related. Scooby's obviously a kid who's having trouble adjusting to college, probably, you know, adjusting to it, you know, just the new change of not being the biggest man on campus. And again, Texas recruits to me are different because they, they are born, you know, at six years old, these guys are legends. These guys are legends and treated like it because football is so big in Texas is, you know, it's glorious. It's wonderful. But I think a lot of these guys get in a situation where they're not the man. And I think it, you know, it could affect them mentally. So no, I don't see a, you know, a bunch of coaching changes come and I don't see a bunch of players leaving because Scott Cochran left. I do think there's going to be players to leave simply because players are leaving all the time now. So yeah. it would surprise me. I mean, you know, Jerome Ford didn't leave because he knew week months in advance Scott Cochran was leaving. Players are going to transfer, not just from Alabama. I mean, we saw a player leave Georgia to go to Florida for Pete's sake. I mean, we've seen a player leave Alabama to go Georgia. We saw a player from Georgia leave Michigan to go to Tennessee that Georgia wanted. So we're going to see this. Kids are now looking at that depth chart. They want to play. The transfer portals made it easy, so I'm not surprised at all when kids move and around. Just, and just wait until this one-time transfer without a sit-out goes into play, because it's going into play. Just wait until that happens, Tim. Yeah, that's really the you know that's really the dumbest thing. It's that really, might lead to the combined retirement of uh, Tim Watts and myself. You know that, what? That I, might, transfer. I might portal myself over to work with my boy Keith Niebuhr. I might oh. be I might be over there covering recruiting with Keith Niebuhr on our Auburn under our Auburn uh, undercover site. <laughs> oh, now I'm gonna, go, to I'm gonna go. No, wow. I'm, I'm going with my dude Rusty. I'm covering the Georgia Bulldogs. Now I do that. I'd go with Manzel with you. I, I could do I that. Wanna, I just want to see what they say about yeah. me on BML if I'm over there. We could go over to Athens, be the big three. You know, oh, man, me and Rusty. Rusty. We'd be in trouble in Athens, bro. Be rusty, a it'd be lot like, of problems. It'd be like the movie Hangover. Oh, jeez. That might last a weekend. Except we'd, be, except we'd be hungover at 9.20 p.m. Uh, <laughs> we'd be needing some Pedialyte. We, and speaking of the sports science, maybe that's where uh, Dr. Ray and uh, you know these folks could help us with sports science, that uh, hangover cure, which uh, you know when it comes to the sports science, I'm limited to basically like Powerade. That's my my understanding. Gatorade, Powerade, and uh, and I stick with my favorite flavors. You got a favorite flavor when it comes to a Gatorade or a Powerade, Tim? By the way, as we get out of here. Yeah, I mean it sort of depends. I always went with orange. I hate lime, and I, you know why the hell is lime so popular? It's like a think about it was this. early. It was one of the very first ones, man. But, it, but lime was in everything. Lime and like, orange. Look, yeah, that I'm, was it. I'm a, I'm a Skittles guy. And yeah. the lime is the redheaded stepbrother. What the heck is he doing with grape? And I mean, what are the? It, I mean, what is happening there? Now oh. they did change it more to a sour apple, but yeah, I just don't get the limes like a standalone. That's for really? like. A, By the I, way, where are you going to get Skittles analysis like this, folks? Come on now, really? If you I mean, yes, yeah, you got Skittles like no one. 
I'll tell you who else will break them down. So lucky, Shannon Terry. We go. <laughs> Marshawn Lynch is right there with y'all. Dude, on the Skittles, we, bro. When we find a new candy, Shannon or I call each other and we talk about it like it's a five-star recruit. We break it down. What's it going to do to our fake tea? You know, what's it going to do to Browns. the crown? Yeah. Is it gonna, I want a candy that's threatening to pull my crown off. Yeah. Now I'll, later. Just get some yeah. ventilators, bro. Those always do the trick. I tell you who's no joke. What are those called? Those juju things? Yeah. Juju beads or whatever. Sure. Oh, my gosh. They will like get some <laughs> lockjaw on that one. With that. Well, when it comes to the sports drinks, I'm great. I'm great Powerade Zero guy to the great? to the end. Yeah. Can't go wrong with great. Me, I'm I get sort the of crushed like, ice. Get the crushed ice and put that, that great Powerade Zero over it. That's you kind of an old man. That's a boomer slushy, is what that is. A yes, that's a, that's exactly what it is. That's a that's a fifty man year old <laughs> healthy slushy. Yes, that's a fifty man year old healthy slushy because yeah. they won't let us get a slushy. That's my idea of I a go, smoothie. Yeah. Dude, when, I, when I go to a convenience store and get a slushy, the girls always looking at me like, I know you're not supposed to have that, sir. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and I get the like forty-eight ouncer too. Text, you know? Yeah, texting my wife. He's not supposed to have this, is he? Can I see your ID? Yeah, that's our idea of sports science. If you see us over at the Slurpee machine layering those flavors and taking about forty-five minutes to do it, that's that's uh that's our idea of uh of uh sports science, right? Absolutely. 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 I think we're good, Tim. Anything else before we get out of here on this Monday? No. It's- no, I'm interested to see how this reaction falls with the Indiana coach. You know, the thing that's always the funniest with a coaching change is figuring out when and even if Nick Saban's going to announce it. Yeah, you know? it'll 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 we probably happen at some point. If not, just keep keep checking the staff directory at RollTide.com and it'll I mean, update at some. Yeah, point. in the past we've actually had to <laughs> we wait and get the coaches on the recruiting trail. And I actually think it's part gamesmanship from by the University of Alabama, to be honest, because once we start reporting that coaches on the road, then they announce it. So, but up until then, unless we got a confirmation, there's no telling. Yeah, when I can sneak them out there on the trail. Yeah. yeah. It's my understanding that they uh, will be there this week, though, so it should be good. Yeah, get them there in time for that junior day, man. Hey, well, always good stuff, Tim. Always a lot of fun with you here on T. Watts and TR as a part of the Built by Bama online podcast. If you haven't, we would certainly hope that you would subscribe to the podcast at your outlet of choice. If you're there while you're doing so, please leave us a rating and or a review. We would certainly appreciate that as well. We're out of here, Tim. I love man. Thank you. We'll see you next week for sure. See you on the roundtable for sure as well. Travis Ryer for Tim Watts. Thanking you once again for joining us here on T. Watts and TR. Keep it locked to BamaOnline.com for continuing coverage of all things Alabama Crimson Tide. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. Citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game full speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus.